0: Everyone, This is uh, Michael Cave, and we have a very special guest on with us today, Lisa Stark-Hughes from Gestational Surrogate Moms. Hi, Lisa.
1: Hi, Mike. How are you doing?
0: I'm pretty good. Happy Friday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. How about you uh, start off this podcast by telling us what GS Moms is all about?
1: So, Gestational Surrogate Moms, for short, we go by GS Moms. We are a full-service egg donor and surrogacy agency. So basically what we do is those people who want to become parents but need some additional help, we help them find those other parties. So it's called third-party reproduction. And so whether you just need an egg to help build your family, and you'll be carrying it yourself. Or if you need both an egg donor and a surrogate or just a surrogate, it's a little different for everyone, but we help people find whoever it is that they need, and then we coordinate that process because there's a lot of people involved, and so we can kind of help from the beginning to the very end when you're back home with your baby. So, walk you through it.
0: Wow, that's an excellent option for intended parents to have. I know that there's some terms that are pretty specific in the world of assisted reproductive technologies and intended parent is one of them.
1: Correct. Yeah,
0: that's great. So about these services, it's basically a matching process, whether it's a surrogate or it is an egg donor, there are options as far as how specific you can get for what you want.
1: Correct. So on the egg donor side, usually people are looking more at physical attributes, hair color, eye color race, maybe height, things like that. It was a traditional couple. A lot of times, you know, they're trying to find qualities that are very similar to the wife, you know, the mother that will be so that, you know, kind of look like them. And other cases like gay couples, that might not be the factor. It might be more individual, how they decide what it is that they would like that Kind of genetic components to be for their child and then other times people are just looking for someone that just speaks to them so they have similar interests or a similar major in college or something like that but yes you can get as specific as you like depending on how specific you get it can impact the number of choices that you have but on the egg donor <laughs> side it's much more specific and then you can also get into the kind of relationship that you would like to have with your egg donor. So back in you know way way back in the day it used to be more common to have anonymous egg donors and it would be kind of kept as a family secret and things have changed now and now more people are open about it they let their children know as they're growing up that there was someone that helped them to create their family and so for some people having a good relationship with their egg donor is very important others just want to have that option out there in case Their child later wants to contact them in any way. So that will also play a part in what you. Use in regards to an egg donor. On the surrogate side, most of the things are just to qualify for a surrogate, and then you're fine. So then what people will choose are things like where the surrogate is located. One thing you do need to look at is the state where the surrogate lives or should be delivering, and whether or not that really works for your situation, because every state law is different. Egg donation is totally different. It works everywhere, you're good, no matter who you are. But the surrogacy, The surrogate laws are different every single state, so having some guidance as you're choosing your surrogate is always a good good option.
0: I can imagine that it would seem to be a pretty daunting process at first, but it sounds like there's plenty of time to disseminate that information about all the options that are involved before you actually commit. To an engagement and I know that there's a contract for both of those options that has to be agreed upon and that there could be some back and forth with that. Uh, however, I think that there's a huge emotional component to this when you're talking about if you've been going through infertility treatments and haven't found success with whatever path that you are on and then you are confronted with this new option, whether it's an egg donor or a surrogate that gives you a renewed sense of hope, there's got to be some feelings there as far as a a feeling of loss of sorts, but also a feeling of hope in that you have a second chance and some of these things that you can pick, to me, like uh, someone that looks like you or has certain personality qualities that might be inherited via genetics. Those are things that you can find comfort in and help you in that decision that you've decided to make towards, like, hey, it's easier to accept it because I got to pick a lot of things that were important to me. And in the case of a surrogate, that person's got quite a job to do. They're, they're carrying a, a child or children for someone, and that's a, a huge commitment and You probably go through an interview process where you get a feel for that person and their commitment. And I just wanted to kind of point those things out because it is kind of a trade-off, but at the same time, it can get folks the success that for whatever reason has been elusive.
1: That's true. In fact, no matter what it is that you need, we always start out with we call it an intake process. So basically it's, it's an interview. So it's talking to you about, you know, what it is that you're looking for, what has been your journey so far and and then helping to kind of there a lot of times there's questions that you haven't thought of yet that you might need to that are very important. And so we can kind of walk through those. So we can then help you find someone that would fit your situation and sometimes you'll have lots of options and other times you know might be limited you might need to wait a little bit to find that right person depending on what your requirements are but in the case of a surrogate you're going to be in a relationship with this person for at least a year and so You definitely wanna make sure that there are some main points where everyone is on the same page. What we do is once we've talked to you and found out what it is that you're looking for, we will send you profiles of surrogates, egg donors, depending on what you're looking for. And you can look at those profiles that have a lot of information, not only just the basic information, like height, weight, where they live, what they do for a living, are they married, single, but also like what's their normal routine like during the day, how do they normally eat, cook at home you know different things like that who's their support system and their views on a variety of items so what we can do from there is you can look and see who kind of speaks to you has pictures of them and their family but once you've narrowed it down we do what's called a match meeting and depending on where everyone's located we'll either do it in person or as a video call like a group video call we're always on that call and that way you can get to know each other talk a little bit how they're getting along see if they think that this you know is someone that they you know can trust to carry their child for them and that they can get along with for the next year so and a lot of times people continue that relationship on after delivery so we do that before any money has been laid out before anything it's just finding that right person so you do have that opportunity And then once you've finally matched, then we'll get started on, you know, having the records approved by your clinic and signing the agency agreement. And, you know, once it's medically cleared, then we move forward to the contract with the surrogate. So there's definitely a lot of steps and a lot of different parties. The surrogate is psychologically cleared as a part of medical screening, things like that. So it's definitely a process.
0: And there's all sorts of different situations that can come up that would cause this particular option to become a viable path. For example, it could be determined a woman's journey that she actually can't carry a pregnancy to term or it's too risky. So then surrogacy becomes an option or for someone that is in the egg donor area, it could be. Low ovarian reserve with the, uh, the woman, or something else, just poor air, age. egg quality. Yep.
1: Age. The most age common is a big one. reason is, is age because yep. um, in our yep. culture here in America, we tend to get married later, and a lot of people uh, don't realize that your egg quality starts dropping rapidly at 30. So mm. let's just take the normal thing you graduate from high school, you go on to college, you date a little while. Mm-hmm. You get your degree, maybe after you get a degree, you get married, you get and you decide, Okay, we want to get settled into, you know, my job first. You know, you start pushing that thirty and then you have to try for a year, intentionally try for a year before your insurance will even Consider, you know, in any sort of fertility testing. So before you've even started your journey or even found out that you might have issues, you're usually coming up on that 30 ish age. And then if you keep trying, then it it can keep getting pushed out, pushed out. So the most common reason that we have for people needing an egg donor in America is typically age, which is low ovarian reserve, low egg quality, things like that. So um, that comes with age. But once you get to 30, it starts dropping, going downhill pretty quickly.
0: Right, that's good information to know. I'm glad you brought that up. Another thing that I was thinking about with this is related to the emotional component again, when you've been going through something like IVF and you haven't found success and then you decide to switch things up and you go to a different path. I would think whether it's a surrogate or an egg donor, that there might be a a huge sense of relief. Uh, Let me tell you where I'm going with this. So... On the egg donor side, when you have to go through a fresh IVF cycle and you have to stimulate a bunch of eggs to grow and you go through the retrieval, it's pretty intense on the body and that can wear on you over time. So in an egg donor situation, someone's taking on that burden for you so you get a break of sorts. Uh, However, my question would be, would you think that there still, even though you have a a surrogacy option, it gives you another crack at success or an egg donor option, there still would be some tense moments along the way?
1: Absolutely. In fact, for a lot of couples, um, not just women, but for a lot of couples, just getting through the emotional and mental aspect of that this child may not be genetically related to them, which is what they had always thought of. So when you're a child and you're thinking of growing up and having a family, that's usually what you think of, you know, is that you'll have a child that's genetically related to you. And so for some people, not everyone, but for some people, they do feel like they're giving up something by moving on to an egg donor and that they're having to kind of trade one for the other. And then other people, they're not as emotionally connected to the genetic connection and they really just want to have a family. So it's not as, you know, that aspect may not be as emotional for them. It's, it's really different for everyone, but definitely it's always an emotional journey. I don't know if anything else in the world compares to a parent's feelings for their child. And that goes with also creating those children, creating that family. It's just okay. an it's just a very emotional topic and journey because there's a lot of feelings involved. But yes, if 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 a couple has been through several IVF cycles or sometimes even one there's definitely that feeling of relief to not have to go through all the hormonal journey I guess would be a good way to say it it's not necessarily pleasant because not only do you have the feelings that come along with all of those hormones but then there's the expectations and the hope and what if it fails because no one ever comes into infertility except for a gay couple they you've always come in with from the viewpoint of failure because if it had worked easily, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't Uh, be at this part of the journey. So, and then what makes it a really interesting combination is that then those people that are helping, so the surrogates and the egg donors, have never known failure because if they did know failure, they wouldn't qualify to be an egg donor or a surrogate. So you're bringing these people together that have vastly different experiences of the same thing so for example a surrogate uh, most surrogates have not only not had any problem getting pregnant but quite often have issues not getting pregnant like they can you know their stories will be a lot of you know i was on this birth control when i you know when i got pregnant with this one you know we have uh, one surrogate that actually had an IUD in and still got pregnant with the IUD and her body actually like put a layer of skin over the IUD to protect the baby and there weren't any problems. But I mean, it it really is amazing. A lot of people think, oh, well, birth control is 99% effective, like this shouldn't happen. You're dealing with a demographic that is that exception. They typically, you know, not only don't have a problem getting pregnant, but often their body will adjust. Mm and make it so that they can get pregnant again, even if they're following all the instructions for their birth control. So they have never had that experience of failure. Typically have never had a miscarriage, have never had you know anything like that. And and you match them up with parents that have only had failure. And so oh. they go to transfer, which is very, you know, hopeful and exciting. But for the intended parents, quite often, it's also very, you know, they're also very nervous because it might not work. They have so much invested in this working That's and they're true. almost afraid to get their hopes up because, you know, how many times do you want to be disappointed when you get the news that didn't work? Whereas the surrogates quite often are on the other side of that where they're like, why aren't they more excited? Why are they, you know, why are they reserved? Like, of course this is going to work. So right. we do a lot of that kind of middle ground helping both sides see where the other person's coming from and how really that's how they work together to create what they want it's this this blending so it's but it's definitely an emotional journey for everyone
0: absolutely and it it, it, it's one of those things you you brought up some really great points lisa Uh, it's not guaranteed to work it gives you a better chance but i could see why people that are intended parents would be absolutely guarded it's hard to forget what you went through before uh, your next attempt. It, you, you are cautiously optimistic, but you, you start being prepared for it not to work. And like you said, you're pairing uh, people that are have known nothing but success with folks that have known nothing but, unfortunately, failure. And uh, there are still things definitely to nat- navigate, but it is something where it's a service that you all provide, but Uh, there are no guarantees. However, you guys try to offer up the best match possible and the best support possible for both sides. Because I know that with the surrogate, there's a lot of things that have to happen behind the scenes. And there's things in the contract specifically uh, about what can be done and can't be done and There could be breaches of contract, I'm sure, but there's some tense moments. Absolutely, there's some tense moments. Wow, so what about the experience of a surrogate and uh, compensation that comes with that? And I'm pretty sure it's the same for uh, an egg donor. Like you have a a rookie egg donor, for lack of a better word, I'm gonna go sports here, and then you have an experienced egg donor. I I assume an experienced egg donor can command Uh, more than a first-time egg donor.
1: That's typically true, but then also part of it goes with the market for egg donors. So, for example, there's a high demand for um, Chinese egg donors right now and not a lot of Chinese egg donors. So that can be something else that impacts the fees. So, And also, not so much on egg donors, but with surrogates, the state where the surrogate lives and that market, can be different. So for example, there's a California surrogacy market and there's like an everywhere else surrogacy market. And the reason is because of the laws in California. The laws in the Cali- in California work for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It just works. So a lot of parents just are like, I want to serve it in California. Why? Because they do it works for them. Um, instead of looking at other options that still might, other states that might work. It really is important to look at that and work with your agency or your attorney because depending on your situation, like whether you're a married heterosexual couple, a gay couple, a single parent, whatever your situation is, whether or not you're using an egg donor or not using an egg donor can impact what state will work for you because a lot of states have laws regarding, you know, uh, surrogacy is is legal and will uphold it but you have to meet these criteria so mm. but you can save ten thousand dollars or more just by looking at another state so even if you live in California you know travel usually is not going to come as high as the amount if you that you'll be saving by looking at another state so in solely based on demand well demand and cost of living it's really expensive here to live but both (laughs) it's just demand it's just everybody you know well my friend had a surrogate and California works for everyone so I would like a California surrogate
0: Mm, wow interesting and I think getting back to demand you could be in a situation maybe on either side where the the resource is booked Uh, I know that in the egg donor case you could be waiting and that's just something that that happens and there might be very specific reasons why someone might want to wait. Getting back to what you said about, hey, that person really spoke to my wife or that that person spoke to both of us. That kind of worked worked the wait is what I'm kind of driving at.
1: That's true. And it also depends, you know, look at what it is that you're looking for and see if you can be flexible in some things because that might open up some opportunities so that you don't have to wait so long. With egg donors, it's nice because you can actually say, okay, if she decides to cycle again, I would like her next cycle because egg donor cycles don't actually take that long. So, you know, you can cycle, she can cycle again in just a couple months and everything will work out fine. It's not that long of a wait. So, whereas an egg donor, I mean, a surrogate, of course, she's you know pregnant for a while and then she has to wait six months after delivery, of course, she can go to transfer again. So that can take a lot longer if you're waiting for a particular surrogate but sometimes if you're more flexible in what it is that you're looking for for your surrogate then that can open up new opportunities so that you don't have to wait interesting
0: yeah I know that when you've been struggling with infertility a while patience takes on a new meaning and waiting or have hearing that you have to wait can be frustrating and nerve-wracking just because it's like you want that baby in your arms you want that that moment that elusive moment. So I'm sure your, your company has cases like that that come up all the time and you offer the, the support that is warranted for the situation. I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I leveraged your company's services and I am eternally grateful. I just wanted to take a moment to express my family's appreciation for how you helped my wife and I during our difficult time. We'll get into that, but I just wanted to say thank you.
1: Oh, anytime, we're happy to help. And it's so <laughs> nice to, to see your pictures of them and how they're growing up and, and things like that too. It's always it's always fun to watch. Right,
0: and I, I imagine, speaking of uh, watching, think about the egg donor piece. You had mentioned earlier in our session here the anonymous component where an egg donor could choose to remain anonymous and once the eggs are retrieved, that's pretty much it. Uh, but there's also the flip side of it where it could be an open relationship and the donor could have insights into what the outcome of that egg donation was where they see pictures of the child or children and uh, they are sent those at some interval. but you know, let's, let's be real here, there, there could be uh, a situation where someone's not comfortable sharing that because maybe that would make it feel like uh, it's not their child.
1: Right. And sometimes they feel like there's a competition, like somehow that genetic component will somehow win over the person that raised them. And just so you know that there are studies that have been done that has shown that not to be the case, that always the children view whoever it is that raised them as their parent and not the genetic contributor so that isn't so much of where but those emotions are definitely something to deal with but something else that has come up in the last few years also with all of this genetic testing what were they connect you with ancestors online and things like that oh yeah genetic,
0: yeah
1: now we can't make any promises that someone will ever be anonymous anymore People, they can do facial with facial recognition software you can plug that in on Facebook and things like that now we basically have to tell egg donors that it's possible that they can find you no matter what it is that you want because it's not as simple as okay I'll just never do one of those tests because all they need actually those programs how they do the genetics is they actually only need a cousin so if one of your cousins donated, you know, if you donated eggs and then one of your cousins did one of these genetic tests online that connects you, they can, by process of elimination, find you. So, mm. oh, and and oh, oh, program will do that.
0: Yeah, so that's like 23andMe and...
1: Ancestry.com. Uh, and yeah, Ancestry.com. Yeah. Wow. So, just, just a kind of a warning, but... Like, you need to think about, and, you know, and there are plenty of reproductive uh, mental health professionals as well that are happy to talk to people while they're trying to maneuver these feelings and talking to them even before you have started the process. If you're just thinking, you know, we're considering egg donation, but, you know, I would want to just get the eggs and then pre- pretend it never happened, <laughs> it's worth it to talk to somebody about that first so they can walk you through things that maybe you haven't thought about, things that might come up for your child, things like that, because when they did all the studies to find out how the children through egg donation and sperm donation felt, the only time there was an issue is when there was, um, so the information was hidden from the children. They were never told that there was a genetic contributor. And then at some point there was a health issue that was only genetic.
0: and neither carried
1: it and so here they are dealing with whatever this health concern is and then this new information is added on top of that so yeah so that things like that that you want to avoid and it's easy enough to avoid by you know being honest and talking to your child you know whether it be when they're old enough or whatever it's things to definitely think about before you just jump in and think I'm going to have an anonymous donation, whether it be sperm donation, egg donation, anything. Right. So, yeah,
0: yeah, it's a, it's, 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 it's great that these options like surrogacy and egg donation allow couples to realize their dreams. However, it does come with things to think about in the future that aren't necessarily always avoidable, specifically when something is passed down. It's that whole Punnett Squares thing and there's no Mm -hmm. biological connection with either parent and the choice was made and it is a personal choice to not tell the child yeah. I I think there was something on TV about that where somebody had some health thing and they were wondering why and then they found out that they were uh, adopted or whatever, and uh, they tried to find the person, and the person didn't want to be found, and it was just all sorts of craziness associated with that. But that's a good point, Lisa. Uh, another thing, and my, my kids are the product of a, a generous contribution from an egg donor, so I, I really appreciate that. One thing that we're going to have to navigate down the road, and I think this is true for our, Uh, A lot of people is dating and relationships and (laughs) it could be where at some point we might have to ask the question, uh, were you the product of an egg toner? Or I don't know how you ask that, but you don't want one of your children dating uh, or marrying or whatever somebody is actually their biological sister or brother. I mean, it's something that could happen. Just you know, There's some very successful donors out there, whether it's a sperm donor or egg donor, and they've helped a lot of families, and they're just out there, and it's just, I don't know how you would plan around that. I don't think you can. I think you just have to navigate it.
1: Well, and there are some ways, there are a few things you can do to plan. One, by having an open donation, or sorry, an open relationship with your egg donor. They would usually be happy to share, you know, I donated for, you know, a couple in this country and, you know, a couple in this country, or without giving identifying information without the other parent's permission, it can narrow that down for you. So, for example, If you knew that your egg donor had only donated to, you know, a couple in Australia and a couple in China, well then, as long as, you know, there isn't any, you know, family history of those countries or they recently came here, then, you know, you're pretty good. So, I think there are some ways to navigate it. There are something else that some parents do as well, is that they will basically pay for the cycle, but then they also pay to have the egg donor not donate to anyone else so oh. that's another way to do it and then there's also a sibling registry online specifically for sperm donation egg donation so that you can register your children and who their egg donor wrote the information that you have that kind of thing for the egg donor sperm donor and then it will show you the siblings so that way you can I want not say avoid them because a lot of times it brings them together because they have family but right. it weeds out the the dating or marrying issue.
0: Right, right. Uh, I'm grateful for the blessings that we have and my wife and I, we do plan on sharing the the how behind how our kids got here and blessed us with everything they bless us with every day <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we feel it's important for them to know how they got here. It took a lot of work, it took a team of people It really does take a village, uh, but at the same time, there's some other things with our dynamic that are are, are pretty interesting. I mean, uh, two of our children look a lot like me, and one looks a lot like the donor, but in other ways, a lot like me, and it's just all just fascinating. Uh, And then you've got the personalities, it's just all over the board. Uh, But one of the things when we went through this process of uh, egg donation that was important to me was that my wife was comfortable with uh, the the donor and that I was comfortable with this person. And I wanted it to be someone that I could see myself uh, being friends with uh, had our paths not crossed uh, via egg donation. And we were lucky uh, to be able to find someone like that. And we'll, we'll talk about the story behind that a little bit later. But is there anything else w- related to gestational surrogacy, what's involved, or egg donation that you wanted to touch on, Lisa?
1: Well, just on what you were just saying, is I've never met a parent yet that has regretted meeting their egg donor. So I'll just put that out there, even if they don't ever plan on having a relationship with them ever again, just having a meeting with them, lunch or whatever, even meeting them at the clinic. All of the parents that we work with have always been, I'm so glad that I did that because I now had a sense of her as a person, you know, that I could talk about her, you know, to their children or whatever when when things come up. As far as surrogacy goes, you also want to choose somebody that you can you know, get along with. And it's a, a long, important journey. One concern that a lot of parents have with surrogacy is because they have been trying so hard for so long to have this baby that they can't imagine the surrogate who's carrying their child to not be emotionally bonded with their baby. Um, oh, yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: And it's probably the biggest question that we get. It's very, Very, very common. But what's different because people are trying to kind of look at it like an adoption, like this is your child and you're giving it away. But with surrogacy, it's not like that at all because long before you ever get pregnant, it's always the parents' child, the intended parents' child. So while you're carrying that baby, it's always their child. So then when you deliver, you're actually like the whole point of the entire journey for a surrogate is to give that baby to the parents to see the parents hold that baby and to know that they were able to help and be a part of that journey and that and that happy moment to help them achieve that dream and so I just want to put that out there because it's another one of those things that's just when you come from a place of wanting so much to have that baby it's just unfathomable that that this person that's carrying your baby for you wouldn't also want to keep it but they don't because they never you never you that child as being yours. It's always from the very, very beginning, before it ever exists, that baby was always the intended parent's baby. And so, delivery really is the culmination of that journey, and that's why it's so important to surrogates for the parents to be there um, when the baby's born, because that's really what they've worked so hard to do is to be able to be the parents with the with their baby after such a long journey.
0: I'm sure that gives uh, the surrogate a great deal of satisfaction, job well done. It's got to be a tremendous feeling. Same with the egg donor. These are incredibly selfless and kind acts that are gifts to couples that have been struggling. And I, I know when we first got exposed to egg donation, I really didn't know much about it. I'll be honest with you. I. I think technology is amazing, but I really didn't know how much was involved and the process was just fascinating. And when we met our donor, I struggled to understand how the donor could emotionally separate, not disengage, but separate in order to accomplish the task at hand and then not have any attachment to it. I had asked our donor a specific question it's like how do you not get invested after the retrieval and the answer was once those eggs leave my body they're no longer mine they're the uh, intended parents the property of the intended parents I was like huh interesting but it takes someone with uh, a big heart and It wants to help others. And I'm so glad that there are people that are willing to do this. And it really does change lives. It really does. So I just think that it's it's great to have this option. And so many people have benefited from it. We are huge fans of uh, surrogacy and also egg donation. And we actually used both services from GS moms. And it's just an incredible story of uh, everything that transpired. But before we get into that, so how does gestational surrogacy and also IVF cycles using donor eggs, how does that differ from traditional IVF cycles? Uh, what's different?
1: So There's actually a lot of different options and combinations that you can pick depending on what your issue is in creating your family so some couples just need traditional IVF which means they use eggs from the intended mother and sperm from the father embryos are created and then once they've been created sometimes tested then they are transferred back to the mother uh, to carry that pregnancy to term so that's traditional IVF there's no third party involved. Other times, that a couple might need just the eggs. So there's only an issue with the egg, Sperm is fine. The mother can carry. And so what they'll do is use an egg donor. They retrieve the eggs. They create the embryos from the uh, father's sperm. And then that embryo is transferred into the mother to carry the pregnancy. And then she'll deliver the baby just as if it had been her own grown egg that had been used. So then other times the egg and the sperm is fine and embryos are created from the intended parents, but they're transferred to a gestational carrier because or a surrogate because there's an issue that's not allowing the um, intended mother to carry a pregnancy to term. So, and that can be a wide range of issues. So then in that case, the surrogate is carrying the biological child of the intended parent sometimes it's both and you have both an issue with the egg and she can't carry the intended mother can't carry so then you use an egg donor and then the father's sperm is used the intended father's sperm is used and then the embryo is transferred to the surrogate and she will carry that pregnancy so there's kind of a whole lot of combinations, and if you get into same-sex couples, and sometimes they use an egg donor, divide the eggs in half, fertilize each half with both sets of parents, both fathers, and then you can transfer either one or one of each uh, to the surrogate to carry that pregnancy. So there's a lot of different options depending on what the situation is. Yeah, definitely. I
0: mean, our our situation was uh, at there's one point in our. Yeah, at one point in our journey, we didn't know if my wife could carry, so we sought the uh, services of a gestational surrogate company, and we found you via a Google search, and from there, we actually had her sister volunteer to be a a surrogate, and uh, unfortunately, that path didn't work for us. Uh, We did two transfers. We transferred to my wife from the fresh egg retrieval. So it was a fresh cycle to both women. And then uh, it didn't take for my wife at all, but it took for her sister. And unfortunately it didn't uh, work. And that's where we decided to look at some other options before we ended up settling on uh, an egg donor. But the nice thing about working with you is you were a wealth of information as far as insights into the infertility industry. I mean, it really is an industry and it is a very large industry to where you had access to other doctors that were potentially options and other opinions and it was just nice to have someone that could speak to so many different aspects of the the industry with a high degree of confidence and accuracy and timeliness. I think that was key too because we wanted to get back on a path, we didn't want to have Information provided, but no context. I thought your company did an outstanding job at providing context. So one example of that was uh, when we were still trying to use my wife. We're getting a little bit into the story here, but this is I think Mm -hmm. accurate or uh, applicable. Uh, We were still using my wife and she was having issues recovering from egg retrievals. It just was really hard on her, and you offered a resource from within GS Moms that was an egg donor that had done that a lot and functioned as a coach and provided advice for my wife on how to recover from those procedures, and uh, that was just very, very helpful. It was something that we weren't expecting, but it was nice to know that there were things that could be tried, and to hear it from somebody that did it all the time was uh, timely so that was a nice value add resource that we ended up getting from your company so that's great so before we get into the finer points of our story of how we how we met how is surrogacy in particular and I guess you can talk about egg donation too but how have these two disciplines evolved over the last say ten years what's different
1: so For surrogacy, the demand is higher over the past 10 years than it used to be. A lot of that has to do with, um, I want to say it's becoming more common, but it's becoming more well-known as an option. And so I think that that impacts it. Um, A lot of other things have impacted is um, here in America, our laws allow for surrogacy. In a lot of other countries, the laws do not allow for surrogacy. So people from other countries have been coming here for surrogates. And, and with egg donations, the demand for egg donation has gone down. And some of that is because of the availability of egg freezing when you're younger. Some of it is just that there's so many egg donation companies out there that you know you can find some IVF clinics have will keep like will just freeze eggs but the ability to freeze just eggs by themselves and not just embryos I think has impacted that a lot but just you know like anything else as technology and different things adjust then that affects you know the the demand as well so but there's you know IVF technologies have really improved, and so for a lot of people, those things, you know, those things work. It just depends on what what it is that is your is your struggle.
0: Right, right. Well, I know uh, you mentioned China early on in our conversation. This has been a great conversation, by the way. I'm really uh, learning some new stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you did mention China, and I know that. Uh, At one point, China had that one-child country-wide policy. One-child policy, yeah. Right, right. And uh, so that necessarily hasn't... How has that influenced what's going on in China? I know that you're still getting uh, a lot of uh, business or uh, people from China coming here, uh, but it's for slightly different reasons.
1: So, um, no, not slightly different, still same reason. So, okay. basically, China used to have a one-child policy, so you were allowed to have one child, and then that, that was it. Well, once they, um, then they changed it over a few years. So, first, if one, one of the parents was an only child, then you were allowed to have two children. Uh, or maybe was it both children, sorry, if both parents were only children, then they could have two children, so they were basically replacing themselves. Then they changed it to, if one parent was an only child, then you could have two children. And then they finally just got rid of the policy altogether and everyone can have two children. So, and, and when I say that they can only have two children, you have to understand that really they just, if there's a tax, like a really expensive tax, if you have an additional child. So, and the yeah. reason is because so much is, is social there so for example schools are free uh, they have socialized medicine things like that and so what you do if you have an additional child is they come up with a number and that number is what you have to pay to pay for that child um, you know schooling and medical care and that kind of thing to join into the social system and, and it's basically like a tax a child tax so anyway that when they release the one-child policy you now have this whole generation of people that felt like they were young enough to still be a parent. They had one child already, but they really wanted to have another child. And some of them, you know, have done IVF in China now. But you have to remember, it's also socialized medicine, so you get prioritized if you already had one child and you're older, and you know, different factors like that. You can fall farther down on the list. Oh for, you know, how long you have to wait because somebody that doesn't have a child is prioritized above you. So, whereas in America, you can basically call up and make an appointment and come out and get the same services. So so okay. some parents will do that. They will come here and they'll just do traditional IVF if that's what is needed. Sometimes they need an egg donor, sometimes they need a surrogate. It, sometimes they need both. It just depends, just like here in America, on what the issues are a lot of them need egg donors though because they're older like you know so and they didn't think that they were going to be able to have another you know child that really wasn't an option and now it is but they're older than if they had known earlier and could have tried when they were younger so so yeah a lot of it is parents coming from China here because it's an opportunity for them to have another child
0: what are some of the things that helped your company navigate the uh not nuances but the complexities that come with the the China market? I mean it sounds like some of them you just uh learn to adapt via your experiences with working with uh, people in China but uh what other things have you done as a company to make that whole process uh, where you have u s and china uh, and the differences work? almost seamlessly?
1: Um, well, a lot of it has to do with that we understand a lot of the Chinese culture. And so, there's some things where we can be flexible on and some things where we have to say, I'm sorry, it has to be done this way and you kind of bring them along. But just setting across like here is the process. Our company is a little bit different from other agencies where we allow all of our surrogates and egg donors to set their own fees. So instead of everything being exactly the same for everyone, everyone always has a personalized journey. So for example, this doesn't have to do with China, but if someone were to come to us and say, I'm really on a budget, you know, here's what I could do. We can help put together, you know, find a combination that works for them that's on a budget. But it's that same process that allows us to individually create something that will work for parents. And that includes parents with different cultures. So, you know, at this point we know what states are going to work for them and what states have resources. For example, they need to buy a car seat here in the United States. Don't buy one in China and bring it with you, you know, things things like that. We also have a Chinese translator on staff so that they can go to deliveries and things like that. If the parents don't speak China, China uh, parents will speak English. But there are more people in China that speak English than there are in America. So. You know, that's needed sometimes and not other. People don't always realize. I mean, they they learn English starting, you know, really young in school. So Mm -hmm. most parents can read and write English. They may not feel comfortable speaking English because they haven't had a lot of practice, but they can read and write English. But a lot of it is just understanding their culture and where they're coming from and being able to kind of explain and bridge that gap for here in America. So for example, when we had a surrogate who delivered early and we didn't have the pre-birth order yet, hadn't come back from the court, the parents were really worried because they thought that maybe the judge might not grant it, like they could change their mind and they might not get their baby. And so because in China, you can go like, if, if it's an official, like they can kind of make their own decision. They have more autonomy. Whereas here in America, they're bound by whatever the laws are, like that's it. So, you know, if it's a state and where surrogacy is legal and all the steps have been followed, which is part of what your agency does, then it's not a question. It's just, okay, he hadn't gotten to the paperwork yet. We're letting them know that the surrogate's delivering right now and that we need it as soon as possible, like tomorrow's good or today, usually tomorrow. And, you know, but calming those fears to let them know that it will all be okay, it's all right, you know, just walking them through some of those types of things, some of the cultural gaps. We also have, I call it a booklet, but it's not actually a paper, it's a PDF file that we'll send to our surrogates that talks about the Chinese culture so that certain things can be avoided that might cause unnecessary issues. So for example, in China, A cultural thing that they believe is that cold is not good for women and it's not good for pregnancy. So if you're going to have lunch or dinner with your intended parents, don't get ice in your drink because it's common here to have ice in everything. If you get a soda, if you get water, whatever, like just skip the ice because why make them worry over something that isn't necessary for them to worry about? Because it's be a lot harder to convince them that their cultural tradition is not accurate than to just not have ice in your drink at that one meal. Right.
0: Yeah. No. those are things that that's kind of a a mindfulness tip. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Things like here in America, we consider eating a salad really healthy. In China, they don't because it's not cooked; it's raw. But the food standards are different here than they are in America. I mean, they're, sorry, they're different here than they are in China. So in China, okay. in order to be safe, you would want to cook your vegetables. In America, okay. we're like, you know, eating a salad's really healthy. So you know, just things like that that you can avoid don't make a big deal out of eating salads every single day. If that's just going to make them worry. Right. Uh, whereas the frigate wow. is trying. To say, look how healthy I'm being, to care for your baby, and really they're worried.
0: Yeah, wow, that's just it's a trigger of sorts. So it's something that you bit. could avoid. Yeah, I mean, some, no, that's great.
1: Yeah, some Chinese parents are very worldly and they've traveled a lot, and and we don't have to worry about that as much because they understand the differences in culture, um, and so they don't get so worried about it. But other people are still very deeply tied to. Their culture um, and the beliefs of their culture. So, you know, we don't need to unnecessarily trigger things that, you know, especially if you're trying to say I'm being really healthy and they think the opposite.
0: Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. So, before we get into the story of how we met uh, GS moms and the K family and the outcome, there is something that I'm, I'm curious about regarding the the surrogacy contract or the uh, egg donor contract. Uh, I think we should touch on some of the things that are typically found in those contracts that might surprise people and why they're there.
1: I would say the biggest things that surprise people are things things that you can and can't do. And that changes with each actual individual attorney Because they all kind of have their little things that they like. So there's one attorney that we know of that always has in her contract that the surrogate can't dye her hair for the first trimester. Um, Or sometimes it's things like you can't have your nails done. So, you know, the ones that are always happen is you can't travel to a different country. And in Southern California, sometimes people forget that Mexico is a different country. Like, does that count? <laughs> wow. Yeah. But it does. Like You can't leave the country or after a certain point in your pregnancy that you can't travel more than 100 miles from your hospital, from your delivering hospital. You can't go to a different state because the laws will be different. Some things like that. So it's, it's always good to make sure that you, that's why each side has an attorney, both the intended parents and the surrogate have an attorney uh, to review those things with them. All
0: right. And what happens if there's a a situation where you reach an impasse you you can't agree? Uh, is there an arbitration process, or is it just more more conversations between the attorneys well, it between?
1: It depends on at what point you get to a point where you can't agree. So if you're just not okay. agreeing during the contract phase, like while you're creating the contract and the attorneys, you know, between everyone you can't come to an agreement, then it just at some point, someone's going to pull out of the process um, and give up if you just can't come to an agreement. I mean, we're always happy to help, but that's also what the attorneys do is try and help them come to an agreement on something, negotiate that out to find something everyone can be happy with. Um, if it's absolutely that you can't, then right. basically everyone backs out of the process and the parents start over again, which is always devastating, but it can happen. So part of what we do to try and avoid that is make sure that all of the major issues that might come up as being contentious or affecting, you know, really being like, I can't agree to that, we try and cover those, Well, we do cover those during the match meeting. That doesn't mean that somebody's not going to come up with something that isn't a normal issue. But, you know, there are some things that are always covered, like the number of embryos to transfer and everyone's views on reduction and termination, contact during the pregnancy and after delivery, you know, things like that that are common to every single journey that you want to make sure everyone's on the same page. So, you know, we try and avoid that as much as possible. Now, if it's after, like, let's say while the surrogate's pregnant, then it all comes back to whatever's in the contract and that's what people have to follow otherwise it's breach of contract so whether it be the parents whether it be the surrogate that's it it isn't arbitration it's just that's what has to be followed otherwise it's breach of contract so sometimes there is room that everyone can come to an agreement so for example let's say the surrogate sister is getting married in Nevada the surrogate lives in california and according to her contract she can't travel out of state after 28 weeks well the wedding is at 28 weeks in one day Mm. you have no problems (laughs) it's a single pregnancy so usually the contract will allow that if she gets ob clearance and the intended parents approval that you know then she could go ahead and go and the parents might make requests like we want you to drive rather than fly, or we'd rather you fly rather than drive, or you know what I mean, whatever that is. But also, hopefully, with something like a wedding, like we would have known ahead of time, so that we could have come to agreement beforehand, like during the contract that allowed for that. That's ideal. But sometimes, you know, something, it can come up, and then we, we as the agency will try and help work that out in a way that still follows the contract, or gets agreement so everyone feels okay with it. And then, you know, and the attorneys, if necessary, will help as well.
0: Wow, that is interesting. Uh, one more thing on uh, this particular topic, uh, one thing I see that could happen uh, is after you've uh, agreed to the contract and you get going and the intended parent, maybe the, the, the wife, and the equation is really involved and there could be some points of uh, contention uh, as far as the, the perception of uh, micromanaging uh, what the person is doing because you can't be watching what the person's doing at all times. It's not like you have the surrogate move in with you. The person's still living right. their life. They, they're just agreeing to abide by the terms of the contract. But I could see where uh, I think I've seen it on TV in some cases where a, a person that's not carrying the baby is uh, trying to dictate in some cases uh, what the person uh, can do and when And or if it's a family member it could get kind of awkward but those are just things that right. uh, have to get navigated you would think.
1: That's true and Definitely. that's one reason why it's really helpful to have an agency there to help with that because really the intended mother is trying to connect with that pregnancy right like she's trying to be as involved in the process as possible and it's usually not coming from a place of like I want to micromanage you even though that might be how it feels so exactly yeah. it's trying to help everybody get on the same page and there's also mental health professionals as well if it gets to that point it's not kind of easily solved where they can have support sessions to talk things out and help them come up with ways to communicate that will work and things like that. So there's definitely a whole support team to help through the journey. It's just a matter of every journey is unique. So some, you know, can have that kind of thing happen and other times it's the surrogate's feeling like the parents aren't in communication with her enough so do they really want this baby? Like that kind of thing. So, you know, we just try and work every case is unique and we try and meet the needs of everybody on, you know, individually.
0: Yeah. Well, here's, here's uh, something for the uh, egg donor side that I would think could happen. I, I know that ah, with uh, egg donation and everything that you can do, it's almost like a service catalog of things that you could pick. Uh, you could even pick the gender and uh, you could run into a situation where egg donor has a retrieval and the intended parents want a boy and all of the eggs that were fertilized and became embryos just happen to all be girls and then it's just like no I don't want to proceed with that Uh, how would you think that that would make a a donor feel or is it even something that a donor uh, would worry about given what they put their body through
1: so once the eggs are retrieved, it is into the parent's um, property. Sure. So as far as gender sure, selection, yeah. they're free to do that. That's not a problem. Um, it only it only comes into her desires only come into effect if they want to do something like give those eggs to someone else or the embryos to mm-hmm. someone else, and that that um, is usually covered in the contract. If it's not then um, that would be something that they would just have to get agreement for. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with it is her genetics and letting her know where they went so that it can be communicated. So, but typically whatever the parents choose to do with those embryos, except for giving them or donating them to someone else um, is up to the parents and the egg donors don't have any part in that process.
0: Okay. Wow. So many things to think about and so much good information flying around this particular podcast. So I really appreciate you participating. So let's dig into how we met in our story. Obviously, I I mentioned that we we used your services and I found you via Google search and uh, I really liked what I saw up front as far as information was concerned. I wanted somebody local, if at all possible, and you were very responsive uh, when we wanted to meet with you and you provided great information. In our first meeting, you came to our house and just really let us know what this world was all about, which was great, and got us comfortable with the idea of uh, taking this on as a path. So I already mentioned that we used uh, my wife's sister as a surrogate. In in our case, we had something come up when we talked about things in the contract that was uh, something that we had to navigate. So when we agreed to do surrogacy, we were thinking we're gonna give my wife a break. Her sister's gonna do the heavy lifting and uh, my wife will just be there to support her and since they're close, it, it should be great. And uh, so my wife was gonna sit everything out. (laughs) And uh, what ended up happening, go figure, was uh, we got a surprise in that uh, her sister determined that she only wanted to transfer one embryo. And the rationale behind that, that we had to plan around was she had two kids and that she knew that she could carry one baby. She couldn't guarantee that she could carry more than one baby. And so we had to process that decision and we decided that we were going to put my wife back into the mix and that's how we ended up with uh, an embryo transfer for her sister with one embryo, which was agreed upon in the contract, and uh, my wife did two. And what we had been doing with our own IVF cycles was in terms of odds, we always transferred two embryos. We wanted to give ourselves the best possible odds. So that's what happened with that. But uh, what's even fascinating about our particular path with you is that uh, you introduced us to a different IVF clinic that was uh, in Pasadena, California, and that's uh, Huntington Reproductive Center in uh, Pasadena, and we met Dr. Cole at the time and Dr. Bradford Kolb, such a compassionate doctor and uh, he was uh, nice enough to talk with us about our case and even though we didn't go with uh, him when we did the surrogacy cycle, uh, he still gave us great information and we were so impressed with him that we ended up when we switched clinics down the road we went with him and he took our case and the rest is kind of history when we got matched with uh, an egg donor when we we used your services uh, for uh, egg donation and we were blessed with an amazing donor and uh, it was fun to coordinate that cycle, manage that cycle. It was one of those fast track things and everything just worked out but we got such rich insights into what this path looked like and I just remember the relief on my wife's face when she realized that we had someone that had a proven track record for fertility and uh, we ended up splitting the uh, eggs with that person and uh, we found success and we have triplets now. And uh, it was great going through that whole experience. It just it, it went came and went just like that. But your agency was great and uh, responsive, and it was just the best possible outcome we could imagine. It really was.
1: That's great. Now, one thing with with you guys was a little different. Is you had your sister, well, your wife's sister. Um, kind of picked as a surrogate before whereas if you're looking for a gestational carrier like through an agency things like the number of embryos to transfer are one of the key things that you know we ask up front and so it's not something that comes up later as a surprise in contracts so so you know by by following kind of the the, the normal process some of the surprises can be avoided
0: right right, yeah no it was uh, it seems like yesterday but uh, I have followed your agency in the years to come and I really like how you communicate uh, what's happening in your agency uh, you, you make great use of uh, social media whether it's uh, little snippets of news about where uh, a surrogate is in the process or when the, those successful moments happen, uh, how you share that information uh, with the uh, infertility community. So I, I think you all are doing a, a, a great job. And uh, I really you. do appreciate you uh, participating in this podcast. There was a lot of great information that was flying around and uh, it was a great discussion. So uh, thanks again, Lisa, for uh, participating. Is there any uh, other information you'd like to share uh, with uh, the the listeners, like what your website is, for example, or what other resources do you have to latch to?
1: Yeah, so our website is www.gsmoms.com, like gestational surrogate mom, with an S, uh, dot com. and. I think probably one of the best things is you don't need to know what your path is when you contact us. We're happy to just answer questions and help you figure that out, um, even if it's not going to end up involving us. So you know feel free to contact us just to you know talk and say, you know, this is what's going on, what what would you recommend to be your next step? You know we're happy to to help. so feel free to give us a call or contact us online
0: great great and I assume you have uh, an Instagram handle as well you're on Instagram you're on Facebook yes. right
1: yes and I'm not exactly I, I think it's just yes mom yeah I'm yeah. not an Instagram person so <laughs> I don't I don't I don't do that part um, but I think it's just yes mom that okay. that's how that works
0: all right great all right, Lisa. Well, uh, we're going to close out this podcast. Uh, listeners, thank you very much. Uh, we hope that you found this uh, super informative, and uh, we look forward to uh, connecting again. We'll, we can talk about something else for sure, Lisa. So uh, we'll probably do another <laughs> podcast.
1: Sounds All right, great. everybody. Great. All next. right. Thank you. All right.